Friends, my name is Sean King and I'm the experienced pastor here at Friends Church Orange. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today for our message and we pray that you will really hear God's voice through our speaker today. If there's any way that we can serve you, please connect with us through our website. We hope that you consider joining our community in the future. Please enjoy the message. Christmas is this season, of course, that has its own share of expectations, regardless of what that is, right? There's expectations we have around decorations and what things should look like and feel like and how things should sound and the music that gets played. There's expectations about parties and where we're going. There's expectations about gifts and what we receive and what we give. There's expectations about Christmas cards and how we should look. And it's, I get your cards, they're amazing. Everybody's matching and it's so beautiful. Here's the thing. This is what I've learned in my life is oftentimes those expectations go completely unmet and it is vastly different than what than what I would think they were going to be or what they should feel like. So, you know, we think about lights and decorations and I want the house to be beautiful. And so just this past week, we got our tree, we're putting our tree up and I'm doing the lights and somehow I knock this sign on the wall that's, and it comes down and smacks me in the forehead and my forehead's bleeding as I'm hanging lights up on the tree and my daughter and wife are like, what happened to you? I'm like, it's Christmas, this is amazing. Like, let me finish the lights and then you can decorate. You know, I look, we always go through Trader Joe's and and they have these gingerbread house kits, right? They're amazing. They look spectacular. Everything's all perfect and decorated. You're like, that's, we should do that. And then we get home and I am the worst gingerbread house maker on the planet. Somehow like the walls are just collapsing. Every time I'm doing it, it just becomes a pile of broken cookie and gumdrops and frosting. And it's awful. And that's, I literally think they started making the pre-built houses that you just put frosting on for people like me. It's like, here you go. We know you need help. So we're just going to give you this. I remember Christmas cards. Ah, Christmas cards. Right? Like I said, everybody's got their plaid and their jeans or whatever. You know what I mean? Family smiling. Every time we were doing family Christmas cards, we would be arguing the whole way there. Why do I have to wear this? And why do we have to look the same? And smile. You know what I mean? And then you're like, I hate this and I don't want to do this and I'm leaving. And I mean, it's just awful. And so Christmas is filled with expectations, and a lot of them go completely unmet in terms of this season. And as we were walking into Christmas in this whole series, I started thinking about that's not too unlike the very first Christmas. You see, they, they had heard about and had expected and anticipated Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, for years I mean, they'd been ex- expecting and waiting this Savior, this Messiah that was going to come and usher in this kingdom of goodness and forgiveness and righteousness and power. And they had been waiting for this leader to show up and take over everything and make it right and free them. And then all of a sudden, what do they get? A baby in a, a manger, a stable, essentially a first century garage behind somebody's house that is ushered into this world by whom? some unwed teenagers that have been totally ostracized by their family. And it's like, you'd think about the, no wonder so many people in that first century totally missed the arrival of Jesus. No wonder we tend to miss the arrival of Jesus and the power that Christmas holds because it was not what they had had expected, but it was everything 
just as God had planned. And so today, as we're going to start this new series, like Dee talked about, The Promised One, we're just going to look at, at just a few over these next three weeks, just a few of over 300 prophecies or promises, predictions that God had made through his word and through his people about the arrival of Jesus and Christmas. And we're going to see, not only was the arrival of Christmas different, oftentimes the prophecies themselves and how God engaged the people, they totally missed what was happening in the moment. And here's what I want you to think. I want you to think about, about this question, not just for today, we're going to come back to it over these next few weeks. And what if, what if Christmas, what if Jesus is different than you thought, but more than you imagined? What if, what if Christmas, what if Jesus is different than you thought, but more than you imagined? What if whatever expectations or assumptions that you've had about him or about this season, what if they're different than you thought, but they're more than you could possibly believe? What if it's different than you expect, but everything God's promised? And what if it's not about being peaceful, but about you having peace as you walk through this life and through this world? So I invite you guys to go on this journey with us. If you brought your Bibles, grab your Bibles and turn not too far into the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where we're going to spend most of our time today. 2 Samuel chapter, I'll give you a little context before we go there. Um, so this is taking place, what we're going to read, this takes place about a thousand years before the very first Christmas. This is happening a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And we've got King David. Who, how many have heard of King David, right? One of the most famous, best kings that the nation of Israel, God's people ever had. He's the king at this time. And God has given David and all of his people this season of rest, this season of prosperity. There's peace. There's, they're not having a bunch of battles and wars with people. And so they're just sitting and resting and that's a gift God's given. And that's where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. It says, When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, he said, Well, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. So it's pretty simple, but let's just make sure we're all on the same page. So David, right, he's the king, most powerful, popular, influential king. And he's got this massive, it says a cedar palace. That was one of the most expensive materials that you could find in that day. So he's living in this killer house, overlooking all of Jerusalem and the valleys and everything. You can imagine, he's sitting in this place and he's experiencing rest in this beautiful palace. And what he's seeing is he's seeing that there's this, this tabernacle outside and that's where the ark of God, which is where the power and the presence of God rested in that day, was in the ark of God. How many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, so there you go. It's like the power and the presence of God was contained in this ark of the covenant. And David's concerned because he's seeing the ark just sit out there in the rain and in the dust and in the wind, and he's in this nice palace, and he's concerned about it. And so he's like, wait a second. Other religions in that day, they built these beautiful, big, majestic temples these giant places that they believed would house their gods. And so they built them as a testimony, a home where their God would reside. And Israel, of course, at this time, that doesn't have a temple. It's got that tabernacle. And the tabernacle wasn't super sexy. 
You know what I mean? It was made of like cloth and, and wood and, and, and it was temporary. It was a portable church in that day, right? It would just, it would always move and the ark of God would be, would be with it. And so the implication here clearly is that David wants to do something about that, right? He's like, this isn't okay. David has plans for a palace. He has plans for a place where he can build something beautiful and majestic and, and incredible for God. A beautiful residence where that ark and where God's presence and power were designed. A, a place that the entire world would get to see probably bigger and more majestic and gorgeous than anything you could imagine. So when people would just see it, they would know, oh, that must be the God of the entire world. His greatness and his beauty and his creativity and his majesty and his power. This is what David wants to do. If, like if other gods have temples, well, David even has a beautiful home. Shouldn't God have a beautiful home? How many of you think this is reasonable? Seems like a reasonable thing, right? It's like, why not? So David asks Nathan, he goes, what do you think? And Nathan says, yeah, seems right. Seems reasonable. You should do that. Let's see what happens in verse four. That same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, until this very day, I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and with the tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? So I love, we talk about this almost every week, I love how simple the Bible is. Right? We oftentimes want to make it super complicated. It's just not. It's pretty simple. Sometimes it's very hard to live out what it's asking, but it's generally very simple to understand. So in this passage, right, clearly if you had to summarize God's response to David's plans in one word, what would it be? No! Right? David's like, I want to build a palace. Like, I got a thing. And God basically looks at him and says, no. no. What? What are you talking about? He just says No. God's saying, I don't want it. I don't need it. I've never asked for it. I've always moved with my people. I'm good with where I'm at. I live in a tent. I live in a tabernacle. I just want to be with my people. And you can imagine, God just goes, no. David, but God, I want you to have this beautiful place. I, look, at, I'm in a palace. You should be in a palace. And God says, no. And can you imagine how confusing that must have been for David? It's like, I don't get it. Like, it seems like a good thing. Like, God, this is just my expression of love. I mean, there's, even theologians would say there's, there's nothing that's ever been proven about David wanting to put like a plaque on the temple saying David did this. You know what I mean? Like, he did, he's not looking for lots of credit here. It's believed that it's just an honest intention to respond. Like, God, I just, this is what I want to do. Could you imagine the disappointment? Could you imagine the discouragement? Even the, the confusion? Certainly, it's like, wait, I don't, I don't get it. You see, I think, I think we understand it. I think we get it. And God's no to even good things is really hard, isn't it? And it's oftentimes incredibly confusing. It just doesn't seem to make sense to us. When there's good intentions, when we're doing good things, when we're pursuing right things that are gonna change us and change the world around us, it seems like God would approve. And so what happens? We start heading down these paths and doors start opening and it looks like oh, things are unfolding really great. It's like we wanna work hard. We wanna use the skills and gifts and abilities God's gives us. So we start pursuing jobs, right? 
We start pursuing a job and somebody likes our resume and we have a couple phone calls and then we're meeting people on Zoom and then like, why don't you come in and it's first interview and second interview, third, or even a promotion. And all of a sudden we think, this is it. We do the same thing with dating. You know, we meet somebody digitally or whatever, we swipe, you know, whatever you do. And then all of a sudden like, hey, and you connect a little bit. Well, maybe we should meet for, for coffee and you meet for coffee and there's these connections. <gasps> you share some similar stories, taking some days. This seems right. seems like a good thing. You know, even Christmas, like we talked about, I want to celebrate Christmas well. I want to be with friends and with family. I want to shop for the best gifts. I want to do what's right. I want to put together great meals and experiences. Like these are good things. Even church can feel that way, right? We come into church and we say, well, somebody, Kyle said, show up to connect with friends. All right, I'll go check it out. I'll go see. Go to Alpha. I'll go explore that. See what happens. Serve. I guess serving's a good thing. We, should, we start pursuing these things. And then oftentimes we get excited. We think, look at this. God's in this. And then all of a sudden, you know what God says sometimes? No. Not that. Not there. Not now. Not that way. Doors shut. Things begin to change. And it can be so confusing. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes with these unmet expectations, we tend to go to extremes. Some of us, we can run to this place where we start to blame we start to blame other people. We start to blame the circumstances. We start to blame, oh, I can't believe, well, you know what, I didn't need that job anyway. I didn't want to work for them. I can't believe that person. I didn't like her. I didn't like it. I, it wasn't going to work out. That church, those people, they were rude. They say friends. They're not friendly. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, right? We just start to blame. And then sometimes, too, the, uh, the other side of that, which is equally dangerous, is, is oftentimes we'll take on all the responsibility. And we start to bear all the weight. And we start to believe that we're a failure. And it's on us. And what did we do? And God must be mad. He must hate me. Why would God? We start to run to extremes. When really, it's probably none of those things. Here's what I'm here to tell you today. God isn't mad at you. There are things we do in this life that make God sad. And maybe there's some things in our life that he wants to shape. Maybe there's some learnings. But, but more importantly, there's something that I know that he wants us to remember. And I know we can learn from this passage. And that's this. It's really important that you pray through your plans. It's really important that you pray through your plans. See, the one thing that neither David nor Nathan did, neither one of them, interestingly enough, stopped and said, Maybe we should ask God what he thinks. I wonder what God would say. They didn't do that. They, neither one of them stopped to ask what he wanted or what he thought. And it's interesting, we're reminded of this all through God's word, Isaiah 55, one of the most famous passages about this. God says this, he says, my, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could what? Imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Uh, God's gonna think things and he's gonna know things and he's gonna have things that are so far beyond anything we can comprehend. He's always like, you're seeing the world. You guys are amazing, but you see the world this big and I, I hold it all. And so he's just saying, he, my ways are beyond anything you can imagine. And so when we pray through our, plan, our plans, prayer is this opportunity to sort of hear what God might want to say. 
It's not just about what we ask for or what we want or what we want him to do. It's an opportunity to go, God, what do you, what do you want? What would you have? And align our life and our thinking and our plans and our, with his. Let him speak into it. Receive his guidance. Over and over we see, we always go back to this in John 10, it's just listening and following. And so maybe today, one of the first things we see as we walk in here just getting our hearts ready for Christmas is maybe there's a place in your life that you're experiencing the disappointment or the sadness or the confusion or the unmet expectations of no. Maybe there's a place in your life. And I guess what I would say, are you willing? Are you willing to pray through that? To pray through it? Not just once, but over and over. Are you willing to pray and let God speak? To hear his thoughts? To receive his guidance and even his care and his healing and his comfort in the midst of the journey? especially in a world of unmet expectations and pain and sadness. This, there's so many places in my life, as I look back, all these things, that I feel like there's massive chapters that I walk towards in my life. God, there's the dream. There's the calling. There's the purpose. There's even the place that you have for me. I'm gonna do everything I can, God, to walk towards that. Over years. And then you know what happened? Door slammed. No. Not here. Not now. Not there. And I'm like, what? The only thing that got me through was, was prayer, was daily, almost every moment, aligning myself with God's thoughts and his ways. I didn't even know what that could look like. I just know it was like, just stay with me. It was people praying for me. That's why every single week we talk about, every single week at the end of the service, I say, there are people right here from our family that would love to pray with you and for you. Because they want to care for you. They want you to hear God's voice in the midst of the blame or the taking on too much responsibility and the shame that can come with that. They want you to be able to just align your thoughts and your plans with God's. Because that's the invitation of Christmas. So here's what we know. David had plans, and they were good ones. We have plans, and they're good ones. But what if God has plans too? And like I said at the beginning, what if God's plans are different than you thought, but more than you could imagine? Look at what happens. Verse 11, God's response to David. Furthermore, the Lord declares, he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He's the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I'll secure his royal throne forever. I'll be his father. He'll be my son. If he sins, I'll correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will never be taken from him as I took it from Saul, who I removed from your sight. Your house, David, and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. How long will David's throne be secure? Forever. That's right. Do you guys see what God is doing here? This is spectacular. 
This is where you just smile and go, oh my gosh, the Bible's amazing. I can't believe God. Okay, so the key word in this passage is the word house, right? So we see that word a few different times as we go through it, three different times. And the Hebrew word for house, of course, is Beth. That's in Spanish. (laughs) Hebrew word might have sounded like Spanish, but the Hebrew word for house, of course, is Beth. And you guys know this because as we're going through the world today, we get to hear Oh, little town of See, you guys know it. You know Hebrew. Bethlehem literally just means house of the bread. And like many words, right, in English and Hebrew and many other languages, there's a double meaning for the word house. So it can mean literally a physical structure, but it also can mean what's being portrayed here, which is more of a family dynasty. It's like this legacy, this royalty, this kingdom line that gets passed down. And how long does this kingdom line get passed down? Forever. That's right. That's what he's saying. And that's the way the term's being used here. Do you see what God's doing in this passage? What did David want to build for God? A house. And God said, no. But what did God say to David? David, you can't build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Do you see how fun that is? Isn't God fun? He's like, David, look at, he takes it. And he goes, David, I don't need a house. You, don't, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna build you a house. I'm in. And David's gotta be like, what? And then this is what he says. It's not a physical structure. Remember, David has, he's living in the most killer palace. He doesn't need, he's probably like, I don't need another house, right? It's not million dollar listing. He's good. He's saying, I'm gonna build a family dynasty, a royal family that comes through a kingdom is gonna come through your line that will last forever. And this is a critical passage and lots of you guys are reading it and you knew it from the beginning. You're like, I get it, Kyle, I know this, I love this passage because it's the Davidic covenant. I've studied that we could do whole semesters in theology on this passage. But here's the one critical thing that we need to understand today. How long does God say that this house, this family dynasty is gonna last? That's right, you've already answered it. Verse 16, and that's what's beautiful. He's talking about the eternal eternality of David's house and line, the kingdom that's gonna last forever. God says it will last forever. And how is this possible then? Because when we look at, we don't understand Israel, like there's no family line and dynasty there. Kyle, what are you talking about? But it's not about that. It's about what Christmas is truly about, which is Jesus. You're in church. The right answer is That's right. Jesus is the answer to the question. It's the right way. He said, this is how I'm going to fulfill this passage. Jesus. And this is one of the very first prophecies or promise. There's over 300 about the coming and the life and the death of Jesus and all that. Over 300 predictions and promises. This is one of the first. A thousand years before Jesus is ever even born. And remember how it started. Remember how it came about. It's because God said no. He said no to the plans that David had because he's like, David, you're thinking too small. I have something so much bigger. I have something so much better. I have something so much more beautiful than you could possibly imagine. And out of this no comes something beyond even we could imagine. And that's what we see. David wanted to build a house. He wanted to build a physical structure. God says, no, I'm gonna build something for eternity that's gonna last forever. And God said, I'm gonna build something Watch what God builds. If you flip back to Ephesians chapter two, you see where Paul is writing to the church. Look at the language that he uses in this passage. 
So now you Gentiles, right, which is most of us that don't have a, a, a his, an Israeli Jewish line of heritage, we're Gentiles. So he's like, you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. For those of you that believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, this is what he's saying. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's, oh, together we are his, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus. That's right. We're carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple. Can you see that? How come I'm the only one that said it? What are we becoming? That's right. For the Lord, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this where God lives by the power of his spirit. Do you see what God is saying? He's like, David, you wanted to build me a physical structure. I don't need a physical structure. You wanna build me the most beautiful, majestic, powerful palace that the entire world is gonna get to see and know who I am. My creativity, my beauty, my power, my love on display for the world. I don't need that. You know what I'm gonna do? I don't need a palace. I need people. God's plans for his palace is you. It's his people. When God was trying to decide what's the most beautiful thing I could possibly live, where could I live that the whole world would get to see and know and discover who I truly am, you know who he chose? You and me. Right before this in Ephesians 2, he literally said, that's what he says. He goes, ah, you're my masterpiece. You're my prized possession. When God, who could do anything, was determining where he wanted to live. He chose you. That is the gift of Christmas. That's the gift of Jesus. You get to experience his power and his presence in you. That's what Jesus promises. When you believe in me, when you trust your life to me, when you follow me, I'm gonna give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see it right there in the past. It's the same spirit. That Jesus had the same spirit that raised him from the dead, the same one. And that's the spirit that lives in you. The holy dwelling where God lives. He's living in you. And that's where you get to receive and walk in the comfort and the guidance and his grace and his power and his forgiveness. He's the one who gives you, gives you rest and peace and even joy. When the circumstances around you feel like it's impossible, you have God. You have that power and that presence in you. And here's, here's what's beautiful. Look at this. He continues in chapter three, in verse 10, it says this, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus. There it is again. This is his plan that he carries out through Jesus. It's not just in you. He doesn't want you to be like a spiritual cul-de-sac, right? Where it's just like, I'm gonna pour all this in you. You're gonna burst. He's saying it's gotta work through you. Part of this purpose in this plan was what he designed from the very beginning. What did he say to Abraham? I'm gonna bless you so that you can do what? Bless the world. It's still the same thing. He's saying, I'm gonna live in you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna comfort you. I'm gonna give you peace and guidance and grace and forgiveness and kindness, but it's not just for you. It's so that the whole world can see who I am. That's what I want him to see. That's why we walk forward. That's why we're called to be the most generous people. That's why we're called to be friends. That's why we're called to be loving and gracious and kind and gentle and forgiving because we're putting God on display 
to the world through his power and his presence, through the church. And Jesus makes it possible and it gets even better. You're like, how can it get better? I don't know, it's what, it's what God says through Paul. Look at what it says. Chapter three, the end, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or... Oh, there's that word again. According to his power that's at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Do you see? Isn't it beautiful? What God chose and what this gift of... What if Jesus... What if Christmas... It's different than you thought, but more than you ever imagined. What if it's different than you thought? And more? What if it's not about the plans you're making, but the plans that God has for you that are beyond anything you could imagine? And sometimes that comes with no. And we pray our way through it. You know, you talk of one of the, one of the songs that da- just dominates the landscape of Christmas. It's the most wonderful time. And it seems like it's the worst moments when that song's being played, <laughs> right? And I was thinking about this um, a couple weeks ago. I've told you guys that we went on a journey with my dad for over 16 years of declining with dementia. And I told you how my mom loved and cared for him just relentlessly. And about two weeks ago, if you were here last week, I shared with you that a couple weeks ago, my dad finally passed away. And it was amazing how even in that severe moment, how kind God was. Because he went so quickly and so gently and so peacefully. But there was a moment in that 48 hours where, you know, we're all kind of bolted together as family like you do. And I was sitting in that room and just looking at my mom holding my dad's hand. And we were talking and sharing stories and there'd be moments that we were ready to burst out in tears and there'd be moments that we were laughing. And she had put on, we'd put on Christmas music. And all of a sudden, on comes the song. It's the most (laughs) wonderful time of the year. And we sat there for a while in silence and then we kind of looked at each other and just through tears, just kind of started laughing like this, just like, so fascinating, isn't it? The expectations we have of a season and what it looks like. And even in that moment, there was hope. There was joy. There was peace, which transcended the circumstances that we were living in. And that's only because of Jesus. It is the most wonderful time of year? And are you willing to believe Christmas and Jesus might be different than you thought, but more than you could imagine? So I want to pray for you as we move towards close and response. If you would just close your eyes, bow your heads for a second. Maybe Maybe there's a place in your life where you have been hearing no. Maybe it is a job you wanted. Maybe it's a health condition you're navigating. Maybe it's a relationship where you just desire connection and reconciliation and forgiveness. 
but is there a place in your life you've been hearing no? Are you willing to pray through your plans? Are you willing to let God speak to you, speak into you? Are you willing to let him comfort you and lead you and guide you, forgive you, empower you? And in that, are you, are you willing to be surprised this Christmas? Are you willing, willing to be surprised by the wonder of God? of Jesus and his love. Are you willing to believe that Christmas might be different than you thought, but more than you ever imagined? So Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your delight in us as your kids. Thank you for your care and your comfort. Thank you that you, it was your great design and your great plan that the most beautiful thing you could imagine, the place you chose to dwell, to live, was in us. So I pray that today you would continue to speak to us, comfort us, give us wisdom and guidance, give us rest and peace. And help us today, this week, this season, and over a lifetime. Be willing to be surprised. And to know that you might be different than we thought. But more than we could imagine. 